Hi, everyone. Welcome to On the Environment, the podcast from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. I'm Liz Borgay. And I'm Alex Cashdan, and we're master's students at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. Today, we're speaking with Kelly Levin, who we met with during the recent Yale Carbon Removal Symposium. Kelly Levin is a senior associate with the Global Climate Program at the World Resources Institute. Kelly supports countries to design and track climate commitments as well as plan for long-term decarbonization. She also analyzes emission reduction commitments and follows the UN climate change negotiations. Kelly is a graduate of the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies and we're thrilled to speak with her today. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Great to be with you. So we're here um, at the Yale Carbon Removal Symposium, um, and one of the guests is Kelly Levin. So we have the chance to talk to her a bit about carbon removal and more broadly about climate policy and her work at WRI, or World Resources Institute. Um, So let's get started. Um, Our first question, um, because we are at this Carbon Removal Symposium, is on carbon capture. So what role do you see carbon capture, technology-based or otherwise, realistically playing in the push to reduce emissions by 2050? Yeah, so basically what we know is that we're totally off track. Right now, um, emissions are climbing not only through 2020 when they're supposed to peak, but they're supposed to climb through 2030 even with our climate commitments and the science tells us that we basically need to have emissions and then get to net zero emissions by 2050. So removing some of the carbon in the atmosphere both from um, hard to abate sectors for example and then compensating for how much we are eating into our carbon budget so quickly is going to be really really important. Um, And for meeting the 1.5 degree target which would avoid some of the worst climate impacts the science suggests that uh, we do need to remove carbon from the atmosphere in addition to reducing emissions. And I guess a follow-up question, what do you say to people who say that carbon removal is kind of giving license to people who are polluting to continue to emit carbon? Yeah, so I think we have to be um, very careful. I mean, what the science suggests is that Uh, This is not an either or, but definitely an and, that we need to pull out all the stops on reducing emissions and we have to remove carbon from the atmosphere. Um, So I think that um, it's going to be really critical, for example, for um, corporate emission reduction targets to uh, be very clear about the role of, say, offsets, for example, from carbon removal to ensure that you have the right signals to reduce emissions within their footprint. So um, I, I think it is very clear that this uh, can't substitute for emission reductions, can't substitute for mitigation, but we really need both. On the policy side, how do you see uh, carbon reduction being implemented? Is this Will this require international partnerships, something in from UNFCCC, something not at the national level? Like, How can this be implemented on a large scale? 
Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I think this is mostly being discussed at the national level. Um, and certainly a lot of both state and national programs can support carbon removal. So that's anywhere from tax incentives, for example, um, to building uh, it into fuel standards, uh, to um, just public finance for RD&D. Um, and you're starting to see a number of different demonstration projects and pilots in both U.S. and Europe um, and Canada. Um, but we haven't seen this conversation really been picked up in a big way in terms of the international negotiations, for example. Um, at the moment, um, I think things are a bit too nascent and really um, targeted at the, the national level where the incentives are right now. So to transition to um, climate policy more generally, um, we were wondering what single policy in the U.S. do you think could have the most impact on reaching our goals under the Paris Agreement? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think the bottom line is we need a change in administration. Um, and that's probably um, a bit of a cop out of your question, which is the best policy, but it's the best uh, thing that we could do um, to get a supportive administration in um, that cares about climate action. I think um, certainly a strong price on carbon would help a lot. Um, but it, uh, I think there's been a lot of literature recently that has shown that a price on carbon alone won't be good enough to drive some of the very deep decarbonization that we need to see. So it's going to be a price on carbon in combination with regulation and incentives for technology development. Um, but uh, I think uh, anything really would help right now because we're headed in the wrong way altogether, dismantling everything that we've created so far. And then moving broadly beyond just U.S. climate policy, COP25 in Chile is coming up. Do you have uh, expectations about what might happen or you know, what needs to happen versus what you think will actually get done uh, at the negotiations? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I, I think um, some of the most interesting um, pieces uh, have been uh, resolved. But nonetheless, I think there are some critical points for this negotiations uh, to resolve um, that really get to the heart of kind of the integrity of the Paris Agreement. Um, so the the Paris Agreement rulebook, so to speak, was uh, agreed to in Poland last year, um, but there were a few critical points that negotiators couldn't actually figure out. Um, one of the biggest ones is related to Article 6 and markets. Um, and here, the way in which those rules are designed are really going to um, impact the ambition of countries' commitments, whether or not you see a flood of credits, for example, from the CDM come in, and whether or not you see really robust mechanisms to avoid double counting. And um, so these are going to be very, very important, um, important, important discussions. I think it remains to be seen what we can get agreement on, and it's possible that you'll have a small partial package of it continue to be discussed and negotiated afterwards. Um, countries are pretty far apart right now on a lot of issues. Um, the other issue that is going to be relevant is common timeframes, and right now we see national commitments spanning five years and ten years, and um, they're kind of all over the place. Um, and one key question is in subsequent uh, nationally determined contributions or climate commitments, should there be a common time frame? Should everyone have a five year or everyone have a 10 year? Um, and that'll be discussed as well. Were you at Climate Week last week? Um, I wasn't at Climate Week. I, I, I couldn't go, but I was um, following very closely and, and listening in on, on the uh, webcast. What do you think was the most important thing that came out of it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, there was there were some really important announcements from uh, some progressive countries. Uh, So, for example, if you look at um, South Africa's announcement um, and some of our small island um, states and some Latin American countries, um, there is um, some some terrific action happening um, and enhancement of ambition that will happen. Uh, As a whole, I think um, most felt that it was very disappointing, um, largely around um, major emitters who we so desperately need to step up uh, because you can't close the emissions gap without them. Um, And there they really fell short in a very big way. Do you have thoughts on sort of the the business commitments? I know Amazon made a lot of you know, headlines at Climate Week for some of their newer commitments. Do you, you know, do you see that becoming significant or it's so depends on the country governments that that's less important? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been some really interesting action in terms of science-based targets. uh, And uh, I think um, businesses are starting to see the swell of young people in the streets and um, try to think about what climate change impacts are going to mean to their companies and how to actually um, green their business strategies. Um, And we certainly saw some very interesting announcements. Um, And I think um, the question is, will um, businesses collectively put pressure on governments to actually set the enabling environments to be able to move faster? Um, And uh, especially in the U.S., it's a question, will businesses come together to really uh, vie for a significant policy change, and uh, I think that has yet to be determined. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about your work at WRI? I've been with WRI for about 10 years now, uh, and I uh, focus primarily on um, global climate policy, so not so much uh, climate policy in the U.S. Um, I focus my work on helping governments track um, their emission reductions uh, and design new climate change commitments. Uh, So, for example, in light of the um, upcoming deadline in 2020 to enhance nationally determined contributions or national climate uh, plans, helping countries uh, do that, um, as well as um, working on uh, long-term strategies, which under the Paris Agreement, there's an invitation for countries to develop these strategies for um, decarbonization out through 2050. Uh, So we've been doing a lot of work on what does that look like, what are the main elements of that, and working with some countries to support them in that. Um, I also dabble a little bit in climate science and uh, do a monthly summary of kind of the recent climate science findings uh, and uh, support our work on carbon removal as well. Um, Are there any sort of broad trends that you've observed in emissions reductions in other countries, whether that's, you know, are we on track or not, or are there maybe like regional differences or developed versus developing world? Um, Yeah, can you speak to that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think what we have seen, so what we know is that Globally, uh, we should be peaking emissions by 2020 uh, if we have the best chance of limiting warming to 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius of warming. Um, interestingly, there are um, a number of countries, about 20 or so, that by 1990 had peaked their emissions and have declined. Um, some of those are kind of economies in transition, like a Russia, for example, that um, when their economy collapsed during their transition, uh, their emissions went down significantly as well. But you also see um, many European countries, Germany, for example, that uh, have declined emissions significantly over the last few decades. 
Um, as you kind of crawl closer and closer to 2010, um, you see almost all industrialized um, countries having peaked their emissions. So, for example, in the U.S., peaking emissions by 2007. Um, and um, we're starting to see a number of major emerging um, economies, um, developing countries, um, start to commit to peak emissions in the future and decline. So take a China, for example, where there's a commitment to peak emissions and then decline in South Africa similarly. Um, and the real question is, at what level will that peak and by when, um, which will really kind of determine our global trajectory. So um, we try to end on a light note sometimes. So um, what gives you hope in your work as a climate policy expert? I think what gives me hope is actually recent events in terms of uh, the youth marching. Um, I think that has really just completely changed the conversation. Um, and people who weren't interested in climate change have now started talking about it and asking questions and caring about it. Um, and when you see almost 7 million people take to the streets, uh, it is a real wake-up call. Um, and uh, it's just incredible, the mobilization that happened relatively quickly, um, and that really gives me hope that a lot is possible. Great. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank Kevin. you. That does it for this week's episode. Thanks again to Kelly Levin for speaking with us. You can find out more about the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy at envirocenter.yale.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter at Yale Enviro.